Let's pray together. Lord, it is, it is well with all of our souls as we reflect on the reality of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice for us, the atonement he purchased for us, the redemption we have through him. So help us to always remember that. Life can be so difficult. We think of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world now, and we are praying, God, that you would protect them and shield them. God, help all of us, even those of us who have been blessed to live in this country who face no persecution. God, help us to remember that you are with us. And you are such a good God and you are such a great God. And I pray that every circumstance, every situation we find ourselves in, no matter how difficult or challenging, we'd remember Jesus Christ. And therefore we could say, it is well with our souls. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we saw last week, uh, the countdown to Jesus' ministry It was complete. After his baptism and subsequent 40 days of wilderness temptations, it was time. That's where we left off last week. And so now he begins his three years of public ministry. How did he begin? Well, there were really two important aspects, two important things that we're going to see this morning in regards to his his beginning. Number one is this, Jesus proclaims the gospel. I hope you're with me already in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, I want you to go down to verse 14. Let me, I'm going to read that and have you just follow along as I do that. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. I don't know about you when I read that, but I'm like, wait, what? After John was arrested? Mark, that's, that's all you're going to tell us? Couldn't you give us a little more details, fill in some of the, the gaps in regards to that? Um, don't you think, Mark, maybe we should know a little bit more about that whole situation? <laughs> Evidently not, because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was not led to reveal anything more about it than that. Good news well, it's kind of good news. It's good news for us, at least satisfies our curiosity, is when we get to chapter 6, Mark will explain much more about John's um, his imprisonment. But for now, what he does, I think it's very, this, this surprisingly abrupt transition, I think it's very significant. Because what he is doing, I think, he is reminding us of the focus of his entire gospel. The focus of Mark's book, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we introduced this book, but the focus is Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John's ministry, remember this, his, his ministry was preparatory. He was there to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. But now his forced absence, if you will, from public ministry, I think it shines an intense spotlight directly upon Jesus and his ministry. And so Mark, in his style of being succinct and brief, he just simply <laughs> tells us that after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. Now, I love maps. 
Hope you guys do too. So here, here's all of this. You can see, if you're at least close enough to the screen, you can maybe see some of this here. But as you know, Jesus was born in Naz- Nazareth. This area, right? Why did that just happen there? It's a cute little picture of my granddaughter when she was... You know, she is six now, so I'm not sure what... Okay. Well, let's just... You know, just so you guys could see that picture, I'm so glad. It is a cute one, isn't it? And she is a cutie. I, I'm, I'm totally objective when I say that, by the way. So, let's... Um, do I have control of this? All right. Now I'm scared to draw my map. Let's try it one more time. Okay. Please work. Nazareth. There he is. All right. So this, of course, as you know, this... <laughs> I'm so sorry. You guys, under, you guys understand so little of the trepidation, trepidation and fear that I face every week with this thing. <laughs> So, okay. But Nazareth, we're good, right? That's his hometown. That's where he was raised. Now, as we saw a couple weeks ago, though, Jesus then went to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. Now, we don't know exactly where. There's, there's different theories. But generally, this area here, Salim and Anon, is the area that they believe that John did most of his baptism. So that's kind of where they think that that might have happened. If you remember then, after his baptism, he was immediately driven by the Spirit to face temptation in the, the wilderness of Judea. That's somewhere this whole area... Oh, man. So. <clears throat> All right, it's good. So, you know what? Um, I hope you guys got your thrill of maps because I am not touching that again. If I can get that back, I'm just going to call it good. So, <laughs> thanks for bearing with me here as um, I show my ineptitude. So, this here, then after Jesus went from the wilderness, he went up, and I'm not going to highlight anything. He went up to the top of that Sea of Galilee. You can see Capernaum. You can see that without me drawing it, right? I'm kind of a little bit heartbroken that you can. At the same time, I'm greatly relieved that you can. Because it's really fun to use that pencil in the privacy of my study when it seems to work flawlessly. Not so fun here. But now he comes back up to this region of Galilee, and he, especially that area of Capernaum, becomes pretty much his home base for the majority of those three years of his public ministry. Yes, he does go down to Jerusalem, as we'll see. He goes down to Jerusalem a few different times. But this region, the the Galilean region, is the primary base of Jesus' years of public ministry. Now, his focus, his focus was on proclaiming the gospel of God. And I love that. See that in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. We just read in verse 1, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love this. It's one and the same. There's no difference here. It's literally the good news. As many of you know, that's what gospel means. It's the good news. It's the good news that comes from God. That's what he's talking about here where he says the gospel of God. It's the gospel from God. The good news is that sinners can be saved 
by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. And Jesus comes and he bears that good news, proclaiming it. Now, now clarity in communication is always a good thing. It's always important, right? So that goes without saying. But if you don't have clear, clear communication, it can sometimes cause some real problems. For example, recently Tammy asked me to stop by the grocery store and she wanted me to pick up a specific item that she told me about. If you know me, I am not good at finding anything anywhere, let alone in a grocery store. That just kind of magnifies my inadequacies in regards to that. So I'm looking for this item and I cannot find it. So I stop, I stop one of the employees and I said, hey, can you tell me where this is? And, and the person said, I'll, I'll see and then he walked away. And so I'm thinking, good, he's going to check it out, going to come back, he's going to tell me, and, and I'm waiting and waiting. He doesn't come back. So I, so I find another employee there, and I say, hey, can you tell me where this is? And, and she said, I'll, I'll see. So, okay, great. Well, this one's going to be more helpful, so I wait. She doesn't come back. So finally, I just start doing what I really do almost every time I'm in the grocery store. I go up and down every (laughs) row until I finally found it. You probably guessed. It was an aisle C. (laughs) Really, that's the best you're going to give me on that one? Oh, man, I was laughing all week over that one. Of course, my my, uh, highlighter pen was working, too. So uh, anyway... Boy, tough crowd today. But communication is important. And Jesus made the good news very, very clear to them. There was no misunderstanding. There was no confusion in regards to that. In fact, what he does is he shares his good news. He, he proclaims it by making two declarations of truth And then he followed those declarations of truth with two commands. Look at verse 15. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the first thing we see here are the two declarations of truth. So the first one, as you see in your Bible there, he says, the time is fulfilled. Oh, we read that, and sometimes we just go right over that, but that is so important, so significant. Think with me about what we know from the Old Testament. For thousands of years, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the people of God were waiting for the promised seed of the woman who would bruise the head of the enemy. Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant the one through whom the world would be blessed. And they were waiting, and they were waiting. The Davidic covenant, David, that promised that one of his descendants would rule forever. They waited and they waited. We saw that time and time again when we were doing our recent study on the, on the 12 minor prophets. So many of them declared the coming of the Messiah the one who would come to save the righteous people and who would bring judgment upon the wicked. They waited and they waited and they waited. And now, now here in Mark chapter 1, time is fulfilled. The wait is over. It was complete. It had come. As Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, 
born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The second declaration, whoops, I'm sorry, I don't have a slide for that one. I am just on top of my game today. So the second declaration is right there in Scripture. I'm sorry for laughing. I entertain myself with my own stupidity, so feel free to laugh. It's, it's okay. I'm used to it. Actually, I wish you'd laugh at my jokes and not my stupidity, but we'll just move along. The second declaration is the kingdom of God is at hand. Oh, it's here. It's now. Unfortunately, as he brought this time, the fulfillment here, and now the kingdom of God is at hand. Unfortunately, many of the Jews, they misunderstood what it meant. They thought it would be a political revolution. He would now liberate them from the rule of Roman tyranny and he established Israel as the kingdom of God on earth. That's what they thought this was going to be. But that's not what Jesus meant. He meant something very different, something I would say far more important and significant than that. It was the establishment of God's rule over people's hearts and lives. It was freedom from sin and replacing it then with love and obedience to God. That's the kingdom of God that's now at hand. Which then brings us to two commands. First, he says there, repent. Repent. Wasn't that the same thing that John had been preaching? It seemed like we talked about that a few weeks ago. In fact, yeah, look back up at verse 4, chapter 1. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's not a new word to us here. And I pray that it will never be a new word to us. I pray that it will always be familiar to us because the Bible speaks of it often. Old Testament, New Testament, we see it over and over and over again, the need to repent. And since the Bible speaks of it so often, so must we. It's an about face. It is literally a complete reversal of direction. It's a turning away from sin, and it is a turning to God. That is what repentance is about, and Jesus preaches that message to them. The second thing that he preaches there is to believe in the gospel. And I think that that's really important for us to understand. We hear that all the time, believe, believe, believe. But belief is so much more than just simple head knowledge. It's more than just admitting that something is true. Biblical belief is to be convinced of of something so much so that you literally trust in it. For example, I, I couldn't see all of you as you were sitting down today, but I'm just going to take a guess that I, I'm, I'm right on this. That when each of you came to your chair today and when you sat down, I don't know if any of you were kind of concerned whether it would hold you or not, so you kind of put a little weight on it. Oh, I just don't know. I, uh, you know, and you know, ask the person, someone else, hey, can you sit in that chair? Just check it out for me before, you know, because if they don't crash, then you feel like, okay, it'll be okay. Right? None of us do that. 
we trust, if I can use that language, we trust that our chair is going to hold us. In other words, we believe in it enough that we put our trust in that chair. That's what Jesus is talking about in regards to this. We need to believe and trust in the message that he has given us, which is that he alone saves us from our sins. To believe in the gospel is to trust in the words of Jesus. To trust that salvation is in no other person, is in no other way. It is trusting that his death on the cross is sufficient to pay the penalty for all of our sins. It is trusting in him that you are saved and you are forgiven and you're now a child of God because you have put your trust and your belief in him. As Jesus said in, in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's belief, trusting in him. Now, that's Jesus' proclamation. So what, after that, what, are the, what is the second aspect of Jesus' ministry? Jesus chooses his first disciples. Let's look back at the text. Verses 16 through 20. Please follow along as I read that. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, I'm certain, I'm fairly certain that all of us would agree with this statement. A bad day fishing is still a really good day, right? Okay. Do I supply energy drinks for you guys on the way in today or what? I don't know. So, but okay, maybe you don't love fishing as much as you should, but but a good even a bad day fishing is still a good day. You just have to trust me on that. I really thought I'd have full support on that, but it reminds me a little bit of the of the lady who was sitting alongside the on the shore of the lake. And she was watching her husband, and she was reading a book and talking to a friend, but she was watching her husband as he set out in, in the boat for four hours fishing. And she remarked to her friend, she said, can, can that possibly be the same man who complains every Sunday how, about how difficult it is to sit in church for a whole hour? I guess we'll just leave that one alone, okay? <laughs> but what we fish, typically we fish for fun. I always tell my wife the cost of my fishing equipment, my license, and all this stuff. Is my effort to provide food for our family? <laughs> she doesn't buy it any better than you do. But, but we fish for fun, right? We do it for fun. But in Jesus' day, fishing was done primarily occupationally. And there were three ways to do it. One was the way that we, most of us do it. We use a hook or some type of a lure on the end of a line. Another way that, that they did it in Jesus' day was by using something called a casting net. 
And it was a circular net, uh, and it could be anywhere from 9 to 15 feet in diameter, and it would have weights around the perimeter of the net. And it was, it was a difficult thing, and it took a lot of skill, a lot of practice, but they would take the net and they would hold it in such a way that then they would fling it, and it would unfurl, and it would just land then into the water, and the weights would take it down, and then they had a rope attached to it, and they would pull that rope in, and then capture any fish that were there. That's what Simon and Andrew were doing. Jesus found them. They were on the shore casting their nets. That's what they were doing. Now, the Greek, in English it doesn't tell us this, but there were different words for nets. It's a different word here when it talks about what, what James and John was, were doing. And they were probably using what's called a dragnet. It's a long, larger net, and it would be strung usually between two or even more boats. And it would have floats on the top, and it would have anchors, weights on the bottom. And they would stretch it out between the boats, and then they would have rope on each end, and they would pull it in towards shore, capturing any fish in regards to that. And like I said, that's what James and John were doing. But Now, because Mark's writing style is succinct, he doesn't give us any more background about this situation. When we read this, if we're reading only from Mark, we think, wow, this is the first time that they've ever met Jesus. And all of a sudden, he walks up, and he tells them to come and follow me, and, and they do it. John fills in for us a little bit in his gospel uh, some of the things in regards to this. This was not the first time. At least we know for sure that Andrew and Simon, who, Peter, we know that they had met Jesus before. There's a good, good chance that James and John had as well. And so this wasn't anything like they were surprised as some guy comes up to them and tells them to follow him, and they do it. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah who had come to save the world. Now, in those verses, there is so much detail. There's so many things that we could talk about, and I tell you, time just isn't going to allow us to do that. And because Mark is succinct, I am going to do my best to be succinct as well. But I want us to just point out, I want to mention three things. The call. He says, follow me. Now, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But this was a lot more involved than just a simple game of follow the leader. Jesus, following Jesus meant leaving their occupations. It meant leaving the security of their daily lives behind them. It meant following him even though they did not know where that journey would take them. And I think it's important for us to understand here. There is a cost to following Jesus. There is always a cost to following Jesus. But I guarantee you 100% that whatever the cost is, it is a price that is well worth paying. Think of our, on a day like this, our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. They could testify it to in a way that you and I cannot. It is always worth following Jesus. And notice Jesus, this I think is important, Jesus does not just send them out by themselves. He doesn't say, okay, I want you to go become fishers of men. No, he says he will be with them. He will be leading them. He will be guiding them. And that's how he still works today. He does not leave us alone in the task he calls us to do. 
Second thing I want us to see here is the mission. He says, become fishers of men. A life of following Jesus is a life invested in other people. We are not called to live in isolation. We are called to shine the light, to spread the good news that Jesus saves. We are called to be used by God to rescue those who might be perishing. But again, I want you to notice that it is not done in our power. It was not done in their power. It's not done in ours either. Jesus said, I will make you become fishers of men. The power is not our own, and I praise God for that. The power is in Christ and in his cross and in his word. The power to save is his and his alone. Which brings us then to the third thing that we can see here, which is the response. Last week I shared with you what one of Mark's favorite words were. Does anybody remember one of his favorite words? Immediately. Thank you. You guys are all just a rock on that one, weren't you? So, no. <laughs> immediately, immediately. Notice again in verse 18. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 20. And immediately he called them. This is James and John. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat. Here's the thing. Immediate obedience to Christ is always the best obedience. If we give ourselves time, we can easily come up with some really convincing reasons, at least convincing ourselves, as to why we should wait. Right? Now's not really a good time. You know, maybe later on, you know, maybe in this, this season of my life, I can't do this now, but you know, I think later on I'll be able to do that. No, I'm telling you, no. Whatever God calls you to do, do not delay. Because the longer you do, the harder it becomes to actually do it. And far too often, we end up never even doing it because we've delayed and we put it off. So I ask you, is there a sin that you are holding on to that you need to repent of? Is there something that you are looking at that you should not? Are there words that people hear you say that you know are wrong? Is there a relationship that needs to end? Is there a reconciliation that you need to make? Is there an apology that you owe someone? Is there a friend who needs to hear about Jesus? Is there something that you know that God wants you to do? Whatever it is, I beg of you, do it now. Don't wait. Do it immediately. Because here's the flip side of this. Delayed obedience to Christ often results in no obedience. We don't intend to never do it. But often we won't. Now, as you, as you know, and we will see in the months ahead, the disciples were far from perfect. Uh, they messed up a lot, uh, an awful lot. But on this day that we just looked at here, those four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, I tell you, they got it right. 
Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And true to his word, Jesus did indeed make them fishers of men. Exactly what he makes you or me into, that's completely up to him. But one thing I tell you that he calls all of us to do, follow him. Follow him. May you and I do it immediately, every single time that he reveals something to us that we should do or something we should stop doing. I say, do it now. Do it immediately. He calls us to follow him. Let's pray. Lord, help us, please, to do that. Sometimes there are things in our life that we, we use as excuses. I pray that right now, in this moment, we would stop. That we would answer the call. That we would follow you. We would do whatever that means to obey you and to live our lives for your glory. And I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.